Do me a favor and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going we're gonna to move along with today. So today I want to continue on in our journey through the New Testament um, that we started a, you know, a, a, while, a while ago, 13, 14 weeks ago. We're making pretty good progress as far as I can tell. Um, and today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 in an area com- commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does a number of things. He covers a ton of topics. And you look through it, I mean, it's just like every paragraph is a different topic. Just bang, 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 bang. It's just, it's just like shotgun theology all the way through. Um, and most of the topics that are covered in the Sermon on the Mount, obviously we've got three other Gospels to go as we're on our journey through the New Testament. So we're going to be hitting these topics over and over and over again as we, as we uh, run through our journey. Um, so what I want to do today is I want to do something a little different with the rest of this chapter. Instead of covering each piece in depth, I want to I want to just generally hit on each section through the rest of chapter 5, and then I want to look at a what I think is the larger theme in this particular portion of scripture. One of the things we can do when we're when we're reading our Bibles, especially in English, is we can forget how things are formatted in different languages. Uh, and in English, when the Bible is, is translated, it tends to be dropped into paragraphs, and we kind of structure it based on our grammatical structure. And then, we, of course, we put chapter numbers and verse numbers, which were never there. We put them there for our own reference points. And sometimes we can miss the larger context of a conversation because we compartmentalize Scripture, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but every now and then you just have to step back and look at the larger picture, and that's what I want to do today with the rest of chapter 5. Um, and as we, as we start to look at this, I want to ask you a question, and that question is, when it comes to our faith, what do you think God is more concerned with? What we do on the outside or what we think on the inside? Now, I hope the obvious answer is the inside is what we should be focusing on, but we, we have a habit of not doing that. We, spend, we tend to spend a lot, a lot of time throughout our lives developing habits to control our behaviors, right? You can even go to therapy for behavioral modification. You know, I want to I lose this habit. So you're trying to correct a behavior, but we spend very little time trying to correct the underlying issue, which is the thought process that leads to the behavior. Because there's nothing in your, there are no behaviors in your life that are so spontaneous you didn't know what happened. I just woke up, I had a cigarette in my hand, I have no idea. I tripped, I fell, and I landed in a case of beer. No, no, you didn't. No, no, you didn't. Every behavior follows a thought. And that thought is either freedom to do that behavior or a thought that will control that behavior. But there's nothing you do that there's not a thought process behind it. If you look at Romans 12, you think about the amount of times in in Scripture that we're encouraged to control the way we think. Romans 12 actually says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your behavior. (laughs) No, your mind... The way you think, stuff on the inside. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this, a good, um, uh, um, excuse me, a good man out of the good measure of his heart, that's the inside, right? Your heart's not on the outside. Excuse me. 
and the evil man out of the evil measures of his heart bring forth brings forth evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks but listen to this last part but why do you call me lord and do not do the things which i say See, he's talking about how the, the, it is it is the internal person that manifests itself in behavior. And nothing brings out the truth of a person's behavior like stress. You know, it's kind of like, I, I, only, I only swear on the golf course. No, that means you swear in your mind a lot. It just doesn't make it out of your mouth. Because you've trained yourself in a behavior but you haven't trained yourself in how you think. See the difference? Over and over again, we're, uh, we're encouraged to do good, but we're not encouraged to do good because that is what makes us right with God. We're encouraged to do good as the fruit of the change on the inside. The good in our lives, we are saved unto good works. But it's the salvation that should change something inside of us that manifests itself in good works. But we're not going to do good and then hope I change on the inside. You know, if I can just get this under control, then I'll be right with God. (laughs) No, you won't. You won't get that under control until you're right with God. It's that simple. We don't like that, though, because we love the idea that we're in control. God saved my soul, but I make my life right. Oh, that's so cute. No. we got to get the heart change so that the life change can follow. So as we start this off in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17... Listen to the way Jesus begins this, pro- this, this uh, little conversation here. He says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or, t- or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, pay attention to this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's a problem. Because the Pharisees were the guys. They were the ones. They were the theologic giants of the day. When you wanted to know what righteousness looked like, you looked at them. They were the model for you to hopefully one day rise up to. Man, those people are amazing. Good thing we don't idolize people in the church like that today. Sometimes all you got to do is look at your bookshelf to figure out who you idolize. What music you listen to to figure out who you idolize. We all do it. We think, man, if I could get to where they are. Why? What is, what is so great about wherever they are? I mean, I have dreams like if I could just get to 5-4. I could reach, I could reach that cereal that I want. Why is all the good cereal on the touch? Anyway, just, just moving along. 
It's not connected to today. The reason the Pharisees were viewed as the religious leaders, as the ones whom we should be modeling our life after, is because they focused on one thing alone, behavior. It was all about behavior with them. The law said, do this, therefore I did that exactly as the law commands. Nothing in my heart changed, which is why they were also horrible people. They hated anyone that may have had a point that they didn't get the chance to make. They hated anyone that actually showed real righteousness, which is why they hated Jesus. This is why they hated John the Baptist, because they actually walked in righteousness. They didn't walk in piety. You see, when we try to control our behavior, what we're doing is we're trying to make ourselves look religious so that other people see us as religious. That's called piety. And it's fake. There's nothing real about it. Faith is not about looking religious. Faith is about walking in righteousness. And sometimes walking in righteousness means being okay going, I messed up bad. But you know what? God is still good, so I'm going to be okay with that. It's not about our behavior. So when Jesus says your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, how do we do better than the best we have to offer? You ever think about how that sounded to these guys? The scribes and the Pharisees were the best that they had to offer. There was no one better. And Jesus says, you have to be better than that. That seems like an impossible goal. It's like standing up here and saying, you need to be perfect the rest of your life or you will not enter heaven. Why even try? If I'm going to end up in hell anyway, I might as well make it worth it. But you see, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is making a point that there is a difference between looking faithful and being faithful. About looking righteous and being righteous. Don't confuse the two. Then he goes on and he starts hitting these topics. And you'd think if you just hear the first part, these are just, this is, these are check boxes. All I gotta do is like not do these things and I'm good. And then he throws, well, he throws some curveballs at us as we start walking through. He starts off with this. You've heard it said, excuse me, that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Cool, I didn't murder. I'm good. Because I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, I'll explain what that means in a second, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, can we, can we do something different? And then he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, on your, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Hmm. 
So we should be pretty good with the whole murder part, right? I'm just, by, don't raise your hand. Has anyone here murdered anybody? <laughs> so when it says, if you say of your brother Raka, basically that's like a social put down. Then those in charge will come and they'll have a word with you. Think about Matthew 18. It's a good way of understanding that. But when it talks about you fool, there, that, 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 that translation can be a little, a little strange. Essentially, what that means is when you say to your brother, you wish something bad would happen to them. You're wishing. You're, you're not going to kill them yourself, but you wouldn't mind paying somebody else to do it. What he's saying is that there's no difference between physically harming someone and wishing harm on someone. There's no difference. So wait a minute, I'm not even allowed to be mad? You know, I'm not going to run him over with my car, but can I imagine running him over with my car? Not only that, I can't even have a grudge. I can't even be like, jerk. That guy called me fat like, a, like 10 years ago. I mean, I'm still fat, but still, I don't like him. No, what it comes down to is the difference between action and the heart behind the action. Between the action and the heart behind the action. The difference between hurting someone and wishing you could hurt them, as far as God is concerned, there's no difference between the two. So what do you do? If you have something against somebody else, go to them and make it right. Get rid of it, because the only person it harms is you. You notice it doesn't say, Leave your gift, go, and when your friend finally forgives you, you can come back. No. Because the only thing you control is you. You don't have any control over anybody else. The only thing you can control is your actions. So he's saying, go and do your part. Now you think about this. There's something that happened to you. You're the offended Go and make it right. But then he throws in this beautiful little gem. <clears throat> Agree with your adversary quickly. While you are on the way with him, let your adversary deliver uh, you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. Awesome. Love that idea. Your adversary is taking you to court. Now, why would he be taking you to court? Because you did something wrong. You're the offender now. So here we have, you're the, Jesus is saying, I don't care if someone hurt you or if you hurt someone. Do your part, make it right. Then come back. Because until you do, nothing you do will be acceptable. That's awesome, isn't it? 
It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how much you serve. It is a rotten stench to the nose of the Lord. Why? Because you have hardness in your heart. This reminds us to take responsibility for our own mistakes quickly. Whether you're at fault or the other person is at fault, it doesn't make a bit of difference. Do what you're supposed to do to be right before God. And part of what that means is this is a habit. Maybe you've known people who have done this because I'm sure no one has ever done this themselves. When you make a mistake and you offend someone, we spend endless amounts of time trying to explain ourselves to that person so they understand that we don't mean it the way they took it. And really, they're offended because they took offense, not because I brought an offense. You see, if you would just understand things my way, you would, you would agree with me. You see, and then we'd be in better place. So if you would just stop being offended and agree with me, everything would be great. Think of the political problems we could end if everyone just agreed with whoever was in office at the time. Don't go there. We, the explanation of our issues is really nothing more than our pride speaking. Because we can't come to the point where we just realize we hurt them intentional or not, is irrelevant. If I open up my car door really fast and I didn't see your kid on their big wheels and I take them out, pop. It doesn't matter if I meant it. It doesn't matter if the kid just laughed it off. The problem is I did it. Stop worrying about your intentions and focus on your action. You did X, Y, or Z. So just own it. Here's some horrible words. I'm sorry. I saw a little video online the other day. I thought it was really, I thought it was really good. So three things that are hard for people to say. I'm sorry, I was wrong, and worshoshoshoss. It's all true, isn't it? Now you know what I do with my days. Life is really just one big meme. <laughs> it's, it's just true. Don't spend, don't waste your time trying to get people to understand the offense and just own it. Get yourself right with God and move on. But you see, that's another one of those internal things, isn't it? We're trying to explain away the behavior, but the real, real issue is still on the inside. So let's keep going. You've heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone that looks at a woman to lust for her, by the way, this is also uh, women to men. This isn't just one direction, has already committed adultery with her in her heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Uh, uh, for it is more profitable uh, for you that uh, one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This is really exciting, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm really, really happy about this. 
Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, I'm not going to read the rest. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Okay, that's enough. Let's go home. Okay, so first, thing, first things first. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about adultery or, uh, or divorce here because we're going to cover this so many more times. Uh, and, I, and honestly, there are better places uh, to preach on that particular topic. Um, but I do want to say a couple of quick things. Um, one, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Okay? There are so many people in the church that, that treat people who are divorced like lepers. And I do not understand it. Because in the categories of sin, I believe there's just sin. There's not like, oh, but the, the, the D sin, I mean, I don't know if you can ever come back from that. Being divorced does not disqualify you in the eyes of God. It doesn't make you lesser in the eyes of God. Is it a sin? Yeah. Let me, let me help you with something. So is lying, judging, and pride. And when we hold someone who's been divorced down to a lower level, we are guilty of judgment and pride. Because you're putting yourself in a category where that can never, ha- that can never happen to you because you're too righteous. And as far as the adultery goes, you're not allowed to divorce someone except for adultery. Let me remind you, adultery is looking at someone with the wrong intentions. Which, by the way, would encompass all of us. So let's not get too prideful about it. Now, that being said, adultery, bad. Right? Bad. Adultery shouldn't happen. Now, adultery, just to make, just, just, just to clarify this really, really, really simply, um, ladies, your husband rubbernecking is not adultery. Okay? If you don't know what rubbernecking is, it means you're sitting there talking, something really pretty goes by, and you do this. Oh, no. The snapback is the sudden return to reality. Okay? Here is a simple biological truth that has been proven over and over and over again through the centuries. Women are emotionally, uh, 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 emotionally directed in relationships. Men are visually directed. It is simply how we're wired. Let me prove it to you. A lot of people think, well, every time a pretty girl goes by, my husband's, you know, his, head, his head doesn't turn anymore, but I can see his eyes go. Okay, that's a trained behavior. It's also known as a survival skill. All right? That's why guys wear sunglasses at beaches. Just, just want to point that out. But here's what I mean by it's not adultery. I will guarantee you that the same thing happens to your husband if the right car goes by. Around here, I've seen it happen when someone gets a new tractor. I can remember conversations where I'm hearing, yeah, talk about some nice lines. Look at the rear end on that. It was a tractor! But if you didn't know, you'd be like, pervert. Nice lines. Look at those curves. It's a Corvette. 
There was a study done quite a while ago about men's brains. And this is disappointing on, uh, uh, re- realistically. And they showed, a, they showed a number of men, got the little, you know, little buttons all over their head and everything. They showed men's, they're doing brain scans of, of men's, and they're showing them pictures of different things. And I'm like, like vacation spots, tools, cars, things like that. And then scantily clad women walking or on a beach or anything like that. And here's what they came up with. This might surprise you. That the identical brain pattern for a man when looking at a highly attractive woman is the same mental pattern as a man looking at their favorite tool, their favorite car, their favorite boat, their favorite landscape. So don't confuse the two, okay? There's a difference between that looks nice than mental adultery, okay? This is also why men have the ability to sit and think of nothing. We have a, we have a mental superpower that women will never have. We can turn our brains off completely. So sometimes when they're just sitting there staring, no matter what's in front of them, they may not be seeing anything. What are you looking at? Huh? What? Well, I don't know. What was I looking at? Then you realize there's something you shouldn't be looking at in front of you. You're looking, uh, I'm not going to win. I'm just, just, (laughs) just, just going to slither into the bottom of my shoes. It's just fine. That's not what we're talking about today. But the reality is we live in a hypersexualized society. We really do. Back in the time of Jesus, when this, when these were these conversations were, were were taking place, no one wore anything that showed anything north of an ankle, and you were covered up unbelievably. A woman wouldn't dare going outside in something we would today even call a modest skirt. It would never happen. If you did, you were considered a prostitute. If you walked around with your hair done, wearing makeup and jewelry, it was believed you were for sale. I want to say something very delicately. There are two sides to mental adultery. Because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about mental adultery leading to physical adultery. Your mind has to make the decision that this is okay before your body will say yes to it. So there is something that happens in the heart of two different people today that we need to pay very close attention to. And I've told you this before, I will never tell anyone how to dress. It's not my it's not my my deal unless you don't understand how clothes work. Okay? If you're wearing a skirt and you sit down and suddenly it turns into a belt, you should have thought about that first. Cuz that was a bad choice. I know women who go out to parties who will not sit they won't, be, they won't, they won't even walk fast. Why? Well, if I do, bad things will happen. Why'd you wear whatever it is you're wearing? If you have to pull it, tug it, or tape it, don't put it on! But here's, here's something to understand. Women are emotionally driven in relationships. Men are visually driven in relationships. We're also, women are emotionally uh, driven in sexual encounters, and men are visually and auditorily driven in sexual encounters. 
So the reality is, if you're dre- ladies, please hear me on this, and this is not a criticism. If you're dressing in a way where you want people to look at you like, dang, you can, but just understand something. You are one half of that problem. No, it's not. Men are pigs. <laughs> then stop dressing like pig food. Do you understand what I'm saying? Drop a steak in front of a dog. It's still a dog. Don't get mad at it for going after the steak. But here's something that I I, I try to help people understand. If you really value your body, you work on it, you know you look good, then keep it as a gift for the one who deserves it. And don't dangle it in front of people. I'd love to go get in shape. I really would. But I can't. I, I have gone into every gym in the area that I know of. And what I know is I can't go work out there. Because half the time what you see is, is, is women wearing something they should not be wearing to go work out. Spending more time taking pictures of their butt than they are lifting whatever it is they're trying to work on. Why? Instagram isn't that important. We do it because the emotional need, I'm going to say this very carefully, of most women is met with their physicality. You think they love you for your heart when really all they're going after is your body. Now we're back to outward actions versus the inside. You want to catch someone who's going to be with you for a long time? Focus on their heart, not their eyes. It's important. You don't want to be the wrong side of the problem. Adultery is not just a male issue. It is also a female issue, and we both bear responsibility. Be cognizant of what you're doing. Men, be cognizant of what you're looking at. Women, be cognizant of what you want to be looked at as. Both of those things are important. And none of that was in my notes, which is awesome. Today in the church, we'll go to great lengths to justify what we know is wrong. Great lengths. I find people all the time who say things like, you can look, but don't touch. That's just fine. No, 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 it's not. No, it's not. Because the look opens the door to the mental issue. And the mental issue is thinking about the sexual encounter. People license their porn addiction because they're not actually touching anyone. Why, how, is, how, is that, how is that an okay Today in the church, seven out of ten men have porn issues. And ladies, before you start getting high on the horse, six out of ten women do. Six out of ten. One of the fastest growing demographics for the consumption and the production of pornography right now is adolescent girls.
I had a guy once try to explain to me that prostitution was just fine because it was nothing more than a physical transaction. There was no love involved. Um, no. Over the past 30 to 50 years, the church has worked extremely hard to justify unbridled sexual immorality in all of its forms. Meanwhile, Jesus is telling us that even thinking immorally will keep you from heaven. See, divorce is an action, but it's the mindset of licensing immorality that leads to the action. Doesn't matter how it, what, what shape it comes in. It's the way we think. And this issue, this issue of morality is one of the central issues in, uh, uh, impacting our society today. All you have to do is take a cursory look around the, around the country. But Jesus says, get your mind right about this topic. And then the rest of it will come back together. But then he says, cutting off your body parts? Right eye, right hand. That's, your, that's typically your strong eye for most people and your strong hand for most people. They're left-handed, I get it. But the majority of people, that's it. And what he's saying is, if you have to lose the most important parts of your life, and those things will make your life even more difficult, lose them. Lose them. Because it's not worth the penalty. And he's talking about things that lead you specifically to immorality. And for some people, that means you're not allowed to have a cell phone. Been there, done that. If you've got to leave your job, if you've got to leave the area, because you know you're, in, you're around the wrong people, you've got the wrong, you got the wrong someone working with you who's bringing you into an area that you don't need to be in. Lose it, no matter how difficult it makes things. Because it's not worth the consequence. Man, that's hard. Man, that's hard. These are my friends. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Let's move on to something simpler. It says, again, you've heard it said that those uh, uh, of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear neither by heaven nor of God's throne, uh, nor by earth, for it is uh, his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. What? I'm not even supposed to be like, I will guarantee that this will happen. That's exactly what he's saying, because you can't guarantee anything. Dominoes can't guarantee your pizza being on time. We don't have the ability to do anything other than keep our word. Aren't we back to that thing? It's, it's us. I can control me. I swear on my grandmother's grave. Really? She's not here. She doesn't care. Now, if you swear on your grandmother's grave and you, and you don't come through, what happens? Someone going to dig her up and bring her to the guy? Sorry, I didn't come through. Sorry, Nana. I mean, what is, what is that even? What, why would we do that? We do it out of pride. I want you to think about this. We guarantee something because we think we have the ability to make it happen. We want people to know I'm the man. 
That's right. I guarantee you, I get a ladder tall enough, I can reach anything. I'm the man. Look at the great things that I can do. I want you to trust me. I want you to rely on me. I want you to have faith in me. Why? Why? Pride. We need to be valued. But Jesus is saying, just stop it. Stop it. If you say you will, then do. And if you can't, say no. Leave your pride at the door where it belongs. How about this? You've heard it said, excuse me, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you to resist an evil person, uh, not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, pull out your nine and finish. No, um, Turn the other to him also. But if anyone sues you to take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if someone compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and from him who wants to borrow from you and do not turn away. Think about this. Eye for an eye, tooth for the They hurt you, you hurt them back. Then they hurt you back and then you hurt them back. When does it stop? When does it stop? It stops when someone decides to stop. It stops when you decide to no longer give people the authority to, def- to offend you. I don't care about their opinion. Well, why are you so mad? If their opinion doesn't mean anything to you, why are you so upset about it? Why can you not sleep at night? How come we can't look at that person in the eye anymore? It's because you have placed their opinion above yours and above God's. You have decided that they now have control over you emotionally. Offense comes when we place a higher value on the opinions of others than we do the opinions of the Lord. Words cannot hurt me. Unless I allow them to hurt me. Stupid people do stupid things for stupid reasons. It's just the reality. But you don't give them authority to put you in a lower place than, you'd, than, you'd, than you belong. It doesn't matter who it is. When we don't give them authority to offend us, then we don't need to take revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. They hurt you. Don't worry about it. I got it. You think about this. When he's talking about whoever compels you to go one mile. During these times, a Roman soldier, if they were walking from one post to another and they saw you on the road, they could force you to carry their bag so that they could rest for one mile. For some degree of, small degree of forced labor. They could force you to go one mile. Jesus says, go two. Now, it's interesting. If he sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak. You know what happens when you do that? When someone wants something from you and you give them more? You gained authority in that situation. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Soldier, with a, with a spear. You're tired? You need me to walk with you for a mile? You know what? You look tired. I'm going to go too. And by the way, thank you for your service. You have now gained authority, so now it's not something being forced upon you. Now it is a gift that you are given from the depths of your own heart. Someone hits you on the face. Boy, you seem, seem like you're really mad. Do you need another? You feel, I, I feel as though you have emotions you need to get out. 
and I'm, I'm here for you. So you got my, got my right cheek, got my left cheek. I got two more if you really need something. Some of you will get that on the way home. It's fine. When we lay our offenses aside and we take control over that situation, no one can own you because you're already owned by the Lord. Last piece. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and bless those who curse you. Do good uh, uh, to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of the Father in heaven, for he makes his uh, sun rise, uh, excuse me, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and send re- sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do you not, do not even tax collectors do the same thing? If you greet your brethren only, what do you, uh, excuse me, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Tax collectors aren't really spoken well of in the Bible. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, interesting, we started this conversation that you need to be more righteous than the Pharisees. And then he starts talking about the difference between our actions and our thoughts over and over and over and over again. To the point where now we're talking about people who hate your guts. They hate your guts. They would love to see everything we just talked about come falling down on top of you. They'd love to see your marriage fall apart. They'd love to see your life fall apart. They'd love you to see you get in trouble with the military and the the police. They would love to see everything in your life come to pieces. And he says, take those people and pray a blessing over them. Love them. And we say, Lord, you are out of your mind. I didn't realize Jesus had a drinking problem. This is, there's no way I'm doing this. Really. This is the difference between the righteousness of the Pharisees and the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of the Pharisees, they put themselves above everybody else and they deserve everything that God has. The righteousness of Christ, he puts himself underneath everybody else because I am so broken I am so destroyed. I am so wicked on my own. I deserve nothing that God has, but he's willing to give me everything. So because I know my place in eternity, I am not going to withhold that same opportunity from other people, no matter how they hate me. Doesn't matter how much someone views me, how low they see me on the, on the scale of things. It doesn't matter. I'm lower than that, but God will raise me higher. Therefore, I'm going to give them the same opportunity. And I'm going to pray that God touches them the same way he touches me. Because God changed me on the inside. Therefore, I will not withhold the grace that I have received from God from anybody, no matter what they do to me. It doesn't matter. Because I've got control of myself inside. They don't own me. He owns me. I am merely a vessel for his message on this earth. And he says, in doing this, we shall be perfect as the Father is perfect. Because if anyone knows what it means to love unconditionally and be hated mercilessly, it's Jesus. Because that was his entire life. And you were one of those people before you came to know him. He didn't withhold anything from you. 
we shall not withhold anything from anybody else. I think the over the overarching message that Jesus has here is that you can focus on your behavior. That's great. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. That's awesome. Woohoo! Good for you. Here's a better thing. Don't murder in your heart. Don't commit adultery in your heart. Control the way you think about the people who are around you. And the actions will happen all by themselves. You know the type of you know the type of marriage that's adultery proof? It's the type of marriage where the husband and wife love each other. You know the type of life that's murder proof? It's when we love each other. We care about someone the same way Christ cares about us. When we have control over our mind, we naturally have control over our body because the two are linked. God has some amazing things for you, but he needs you to get yourself under control. And that does not start by controlling your actions. It starts by renewing your mind.